Like if Moonlight was a very intimate movie about a very specific character, Chiron is like one person living an experience that we are seeing from young age into adulthood. And this movie didn't really feel like it was about characters so much as like what characters represented. But there's something about that combination of like telling a story where it isn't about specific characters so much as ideas, but then having the style that is so intimate and so meant to be like relishing in moments and in scenes and giving us like quiet, slow space to have with the characters that it, d- it didn't quite mesh for me. Like. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 522 with a review of If Beale Street Could Talk. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, this week, this film isn't quite yet ready to come to a theater near you. I believe this is coming out uh, around the end of November, around November 30th, um, so you will be able to see it then. Um, but it was playing uh, for us this weekend at the Mill Valley Film Festival, um, where which is where we saw it. Um, we saw it on closing night, and uh, you know it was a film festival. Uh, film festivals, especially closing night uh, ones, often have a Q and A with them. Um, and so we're going to open this episode by just talking a little bit about uh, you know Q and A, not ethics, uh, etiquette. Etiquette, etiquette yeah. is the word. Um, you know, like when you have a filmmaker with you in your presence, it's. Uh, it's a good thing to give them the space that they need to say the things that they want to say about the film that they made. Um, good people do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, every once in a while, some Q&As can go awry. Um, I think we've talked on the podcast before about one of our favorite Q&A going awry experiences was the Hell or High Water Q&A, oh, yeah. where the writer got drunk and decided to try to... And Taylor ma- <laughs> Sheridan decided we were really here to see him and not <laughs> not Jeff Bridges. Yeah. He decided to like mansplain and whitesplain a lot of stuff to a lot of people that didn't need to hear it from him. Yep. Um, and uh, watching the entire cast be drunk and, and, and sort of interact with each other was almost worth getting over the awkwardness to it. It became a fun Q&A, but not in a good way. It was like a fun just to see this devolve into um, madness. And uh, for the most part, this Q&A was great. Uh, Barry Jenkins is is amazing. Um, He handled the crowd amazingly like i'm gonna say this a was great and the q's were terrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i mean he he had a masterful grasp of like uh wrangling everything together but there was one moment where nobody could wrangle what was going on uh would you like to dive into that steven yeah sure (laughs) so so i mean the whole q a was like it started off on the wrong foot. The host was terrible. I don't think he's going to listen to this, so I feel comfortable <laughs> saying that. Uh, he was an old white man, as many people here in the Bay Area are, <laughs> um, particularly <laughs> up in like Mill Valley area. Uh, and uh, so he walked out, and the first thing he said was, and now welcoming the filmmakers of If Only Beale Street Could Speak. <laughs> Like, right off the bat, got the name of the movie wrong. Yeah, uh, pronounced the lead character's name incorrectly, too. I yeah. think he pronounced it Trish instead of Tish. <laughs> Trish, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, Barry Jenkins and Kiki Lane were there. Kiki Lane is the star of this movie. Jenkins, obviously, is the director. 
that guy started with his own kind of Taylor Sheridan-esque moments where there were a few times when he seemed like he wanted to hear himself speak more than ask a compelling question. I think if there's one fundamental sin in any Q&A, it's that. It is that, like, you are so proud of your question that you think people need to hear what you have to say yeah. rather than probe something that will let the filmmaker maybe touch on a point that their typical junket might not have let them do. Um all that got completely overwhelmed <laughs> by... Uh, so I should say we were not in the screen that had the Q&A live. We were next door or right above it. So in the same theater, but not in the same screen. We were watching a feed getting piped in from that one. Yeah. Um, which is important to this next part because a guy walked on stage, uh, an older gentleman... And basically said, like, I got a few things I want to say. <laughs> he said, I'm going to let you finish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to let you finish, Barry Jenkins. And proceeded to go on a five-minute story. It may have been longer than five it minutes. It may have been longer. It was a long time. Walking off stage as he did it and out of view of the camera <laughs> in a, like, a way that could only have been more comical if, like, the Kirby Enthusiasm credits <laughs> song were playing <laughs> while we did it. Because what we were treated to was just five-plus minutes of... Barry Jenkins and Kiki Lane sitting, pretending to listen to something, occasionally sipping water, and sometimes like like whispering to each other like little jokes, while some guy just like went off for who knows yeah. how long. And eventually, people like in our theater started to leave. Like people started filing out, and some of the PAs were like, uh, "We're getting security. Something weird is happening down there." <laughs> and. I, lo- I loved it. <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for me, the best moment was after we're all upstairs all uh, just uncomfortably laughing and like look like looking across like uh, we, we our, our group got split up um, because just the, it was such a filled theater and it was a small theater. At least the upstairs portion, portion was. So we're just kind of like leaning forward and looking across <laughs> to the other side of the theater like to make eye contact. Like, are you getting this? Uh, but my favorite moment is like the guy's already been talking for about five minutes. And then out of nowhere, you, like, I, I, I can't make out anything he's saying because they haven't mic'd the audience. And suddenly I just hear, and then in 1974, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, Jesus, like, this is going to be going for a lot longer. It was just like that perfect moment of like, it, we're watching a montage of this guy giving this huge speech about like the, his entire life. Um, it was it was pretty amazing. It was great. But I, but I can't reiterate enough, like how great Barry Jenkins was like with that moment and with all the kind of obnoxious questions he got, he, he is so good at like spinning a bad question into a delightful answer. Like he, 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 he was captivating and like an excellent storyteller and he seemed very human and personable. Like he wanted to really relate to the audience and talk about like, yeah, this is what I was going for. This is what I was thinking about on set. This is how I feel about this. This is what I wanted to achieve. And, I, I think he's like one of my favorite Q and A answers ever that I've seen. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he's just so good. Like we 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 were fortunate enough to get to see a bunch of Q and As. Um, they happen to play a lot around our area, um, and oftentimes it's either a a filmmaker or somebody associated with the production that like they're just kind of doing the rounds. They don't really care about being there and like making the conversation good. They're kind of just like, ask me questions and I'll answer them. Um, and I think that this was like just a really engaging, um, Q and a, and, uh, it was like, it, 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 it added a lot to the experience of getting to see the film in a way that I was deeply appreciative. Which of. I think is ideally what they do is the, the filmmaker or people in the film get to speak on it enough that like it builds some understanding or appreciation of what they were going for. Yeah. 
Cool. Um, so should we get into our review, Stephen? Let's do it. All right, we're going to take a listen to the trailer for If Beale Street Could Talk, and then we're going to come back and uh, give you a review. You ready for this? I've never been more ready for anything in my whole life. You know I love you, no matter what happens. I'm yours and your mind, and that's it. You and me all the time. Drinking to new life. Tish gonna have Fonny's baby. <laughs> I hope it's a boy. <laughs> Come on over here, daughter. You're a good girl, and I'm proud of you. Don't you ever forget it. And who's gonna be responsible for this baby? The father and the mother. When I hold you in my arms, I gotta hold our baby in my arms. We'll find a way. That child was born of sin. That child. It's your grandchild. What difference does it make how he gets here? Unbow your head, sister. We've known Bonnie all his life. He's about to pay for something he didn't do. These are our children, and we gotta set them free. Remember, love is what brought you here. And if you trusted love this far, don't panic now. Trust it all the way. Just remember. Be on soon. All right, so that was the trailer, If Beale Street Could Talk. It is the story of a young woman and her boyfriend. Uh, she is pregnant with his child, and he has been uh, put in jail, uh, wrongfully accused of a pretty bad act. And it's sort of them, um, it's the experience of this couple and their work to try to work towards getting him out of jail and kind of just holding on to each other within a system that is like, basically just screwing them over at every single turn and it just the experience of that couple and their family surrounding this case so mm. Stephen Miller what did you think of this film um I I liked this movie I did not love this movie and with context I loved Moonlight um I also loved Medicine for Melancholy <laughs> Barry <laughs> Jenkins film before this he is a phenomenal filmmaker I think he puts his craft to use in very good ways in this movie. I think a lot is on the screen to love and to enjoy. Um, the good, I think the style, again, is beautiful. Like like in Moonlight, it has this very tender feeling. Uh, it's a very like colorful movie. Like The yellows and blues kind of just hit you in a very beautiful way. Um, it's a very musical movie. There's like lovely soundtrack that is the like following you the whole time and the the whole thing is a it it is a love letter to James Baldwin and I can feel that here um I also think the story it's telling is like powerful in ways I think um 
it's trying to deal with lofty themes. Like it's trying to be about society at large. And these are the problems that can happen to a person of color in America. These are the threats that they're under. This is how we can humanize the families and show that like, even in this strife, even in poverty, like they were living beautiful lives and they had these, you know, there's a lot in the movie to enjoy. Um, But there's something about, like, if Moonlight was a very intimate movie about a very specific character, one that, like, maybe generalizes, but I, I don't know that, like, Sharon is, like, one person living an experience that we are seeing from young age into adulthood. And this movie didn't really feel like it was about characters so much as, like, what characters represented, right? It felt a little more didactic, like... Which, again, is probably the source material. I haven't read uh, the book that this is based on. Um, but there's something about that combination of like telling a story where it isn't about specific characters so much as ideas, but then having the style that is so intimate and so meant to be like relishing in moments and in scenes and giving us like quiet, slow space to have with the characters that it, d- it didn't quite mesh for me. Like I thought it was a beautiful movie. I, like I'm very glad that I watched it. I would be interested in reading the book too. Like it, it's all good stuff, but something just didn't quite click for me in the way that it did with his past work. So that left me kind of curious. And I think the Q and A answered a lot of things because he talked about how much he wanted to give truth to James Baldwin's words and make sure that he was like not doing a disservice to the book that he was putting the dialogue directly in the screen. And that happens in the movie. Like there's a lot of dialogue in the movie and a lot of like relishing in language that is not, the way you would think these characters speak, right? You can tell they are, like, quoting source material from something else. And to me, that makes it a very interesting movie and, like, a good love letter to a book. But as a work of art on its own, like, it it just was a little more distant than what I would have wanted. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I 100% understand that feeling. I mean, this, this film is, it's a beautiful film. Um, is phenomenally acted like the performances across the board like 100 percent all the way um, are fantastic uh it's the film really draws you in um th- this film is all about theme and uh subject matter and uh sort of the message of what it's trying to get across and we we experience the character's journey through a series of the, it's not even like vignettes it's sort of like it's 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 uh memories and flashbacks all surrounding this one theme about like uh the black experience and what it's like um to what 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 you have to deal with on a daily basis um it's a period piece but obviously it still holds true today um but it's it's all about how at every turn in every single interaction with every person uh these characters are dealing with the fact that like things are going to be stacked against them and there's not really a good way around it. And the only way to get around it is to just not, not be them. <laughs> like it's plain, plain and simple. You are only introduced to character, to new characters that push that, that uh, message forward and have an experience that they can share that is equal to what the main character is going through. Um, like there's a random encounter with an old friend on the street and he's like, I just got a jail and this is what I did. I had to plea out to this thing because it was better than beating this other charge. And it's, it's a series of vignettes that just show the feeling of living in society that doesn't care about you and is trying to like prevent you from just <laughs> living your life and being happy. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that 
we don't spend enough time outside of those experiences to get to know the characters. Um, and it's sort of like everyone is sort of just a metaphor for the experience rather than a fully fleshed out character, yeah. um, which is fine. Like this, this film is executing what it's trying to do perfectly. Like mm-hmm. there, like you never get a free moment where you're not filled with that dread or the like upset about like what's happening to these characters and how the system is, is like preventing them from just going on and doing something right. Like it's, it's, a series of situations that you never feel good about, right? And when there's memories of like, oh, like I, I remember the night the baby was conceived, you get like four seconds to exist mm-hmm. in that universe and then you're back to the reality of sitting on the other side of this glass. And um, yeah, it, it, it's just, it, I appreciate what the film is doing and I love the Q&A, like mm-hmm. just being able to uh, get more input to all the choices, that, as you said, that were being made about the film. Um, but yeah, there there was a little bit of like I wanted more about the case and what's going on and like more about the efforts of what the characters are trying to do to get out. And it, it's there's things that this film isn't concerned with because it just wants you to feel the experience rather mm-hmm. than fill in the details of the backstory of um, these characters. It's just live in the moment and experience these individual moments that all mean what this film is saying. Yeah. And you're never outside of that ever. And and that's kind of, it, it makes a bunch of contradictions that are really interesting because it, because like you, you could say this is a like slice of life, but it's not really, it's like slice of theme. Like yeah. the specific lives are not the point. And I can say that while also saying the acting is phenomenal in this movie. Yeah. Uh, characters, particularly the lead Kiki Lane is great as her character of Tish. Uh, they talk in the QA about, all of these moments where characters are made to look directly in the camera and just give like heartfelt monologues where they're acting opposite of no one. And like, you feel a lot of that power. I I feel like uh, black Klansman also had scenes like that too, where you just see people like giving everything directly to a camera and the actors are, they are fully acting out a feeling and a fleshed out character that the movie is not, really interested in us getting to know in any meaningful way. Um, And that's true even for Tish, I think, who is the, she's the main character in the film. We are with her a lot in the movie, but we're only with her in the confines of this arc that she's going on. And I think the movie very purposely is not making us see cracks in her facade, right? It's not trying to let us see, like, her opening up to other people about how difficult this is. This is about her picking herself up by her bootstraps and surviving this experience. And for everyone, this is just kind of, I don't know the right way to say it. It, It's like, like you mentioned the case and I feel like, like naturally the movie would not give us details into the case because I feel like the case is a foregone conclusion in the movie. The case is the thing that we know won't end well. And almost doesn't matter what the details are because the system is going to be rigged anyway. And I, I like. I think it's kind of an impossible movie to do perfectly without having some contradictions because, like, my understanding of James Baldwin, which is not as a novelist but as an essayist, like uh, The Fire Next Time and Notes of a Native Son are the works that I remember, um, is he's very interested in the broad themes. He was interested in social issues and challenging white America and saying, like, this is what life is like. This is how it's difficult. This is how this system is rigged what are we going to do about it? Um, 
And from that vantage point, like, you don't want to tell a story that's just personal or, like, getting in the weeds of, like, this moment of this character. Like, you want it to generalize and be more didactic like that. Um, yeah. But then I feel like the movie is at its most beautiful when Barry Jenkins lets himself do that, when it's, like, a flight of fancy where he's pivoting around a half-finished wooden sculpture while, like, music is blaring and the light... Like, the light in this movie is just beautiful in so many very dreamlike scenes where people are walking in slow motion or the the film opens with uh, the two main characters uh Fanny and Tish turning to each other and saying like are you ready? Yes. And we have no idea what that means in that moment when it yeah. first happens. We don't know anything and it doesn't matter what it means there. It's supposed to be a like we're floating in their relationship in that moment and this is all just about the arc of a relationship and the way it gets strained by social pressure. And that's like really interesting and powerful. And I think it could reach a lot of people and it's just not the thing I love most about the filmmaking style. Yeah. Yeah. I almost feel like for a thing that is meant to generalize, I maybe would want a little more of that like heavier handed drama to go with it to just like really, really push the themes forward. And Barry Jenkins doesn't do that. His is more like jazz, right? It's like, basking in the moment and it it's just an interesting combination you know basking in a thing that is also like a powerful message it's trying to push forward it's like two speeds at one time that he's trying to maintain yeah yeah and and, and we we like all those scenes that you think would be the scene that you would get that would be the heightened emotion like him being arrested or like th those scenes like they're non-existent in the film mm -hmm. like those all happen off camera and it's just these little moments of understanding um, but I think that like I mean this is I, my interpretation of things but like I think that Tish like represents this like naivete of, of what the world is yeah. and like she she has this I idealized experience of like if we just love each other that is enough to overcome all of this I'm going to get you out. We'll find a way. We'll, you know, get whatever we need to, to go to the place and find the girl. Like it, it's, it's like, she just has this view of the world that everything is going to be okay. And like everyone around her knows through lived experiences that it's not going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there's, there's, there's an interesting thing happening there where it's like literally every single character in the film is just there to let you know that it's not okay and yeah. it's never okay. And this one character is like, no, but I'm, I'm trying to be okay and I see myself as being okay and will make it be okay. But it's just, it's her idealism fighting against sort of the truth of right. reality. So, um, yeah, like all these things work really well. Um, but it, it is a thing where it's like, the the story isn't there it's just the emotions of that story that you would see play over over a longer period of time you're seeing just these little tiny pieces and following the, the thing and it's like the film is concerned with the themes more than it is with filling in all these characters in a way that um makes me want more from what's going on right. um like the way i was trying to describe this uh before when someone asked me is this felt like if you only had the third act of Moonlight and you didn't watch uh, the, the lead character grow up, you didn't see what he was going through, you didn't see like that glimmer of the child that he used to be in him yeah. now, you just see these like gorgeous, slow conversations as people start to unpack their lives. And instead of getting all that previous stuff, if there had just been like, uh, you know, like, text on the screen saying this is how he was brought up this is what happened and seen now let's cut to it yeah. and like that gives it a 
almost waking life quality to me where it feels like it's a movie that just wants to float in and out of different conversations that are expounding on the theme, um, which is like, again, like lovely and slow in a beautiful way, but it, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly in service to those themes. I feel like it like could have used an extra push <laughs> to, to make them stand out more. Um, yeah. And what's interesting is I think if the movie wanted to, it certainly could have done the slice of life thing. I think one early scene where Tish is telling her parents, her family for the first time about her pregnancy, feels like it could tumble into a completely different kind of movie. Yeah. Um, where we're seeing like the warmth of her family and like the father's joy when he realizes what is happening and like they're getting little digs at her and this might not be exactly what they wanted, but they have love there and they are excited to like make their little home grow a bit and have one more person in it. Yeah. Um, and then we contrast that to Fonny's family when they come over and all of a sudden they are reflective of broad themes, right? His mother is the like holy rolling hyper-religious person who gives an extreme monologue that is very heightened and very play-like. It is not yeah. at all like this is an intimate moment between characters. And yeah, like she literally curses her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does. And and from from there on, I feel like the movie is much more interested in like we are going to live in this heightened world where characters symbolize like what they're meant to generalize about society much more than they're meant to be like a lived-in person. Yeah. Um, and I think some of those moments work really beautifully anyway, like the scene where they meet their friend Daniel and he goes, I don't know how long that conversation is, but it definitely is given its time to slowly unroll as he discusses like what his life has looked like up until that moment. And that isn't in service to some arc that isn't going to like be relevant later to some other plot point. It's just meant to live in that space. Um, yeah. I mean, it, well, it's, it's relevant to the like, he went through a similar thing, mm -hmm. essentially. So, it, so it is. It is. It's right. still on brand. It's thematically relevant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It but just it, isn't. It isn't in furtherance of a plot in a way that's gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, overall, still, still lovely. I just like. I'm grading it on a curve because, like, I loved everything else Barry Jenkins has done so much. This one just felt like a little bit more at arm's length to me. All right, so uh, we're gonna get to verdicts now. It'll be a little bit before everybody can see this film, but uh, we can give recommendations now. Stephen Miller, if you were gonna give us a must-see, recommend with the caveat, wait for rental, pass with the caveat, or must avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I'm gonna grade on that curve and give it a recommend with a caveat. Uh, I think this is again like a lovely movie. I think it executes exactly on what it wanted to do, and it remains true to the source material while being very much a Barry Jenkins movie. I'm just not completely sold on that combination of things, but definitely still worth your time. And I imagine to anyone who wanted to read the book, this is like a great way to dabble in that world and get the story in like a much more visual, uh, a, a way that you can soak in rather than just like read text. I'm going to give it a record of the caveat as well. Um, this is a beautiful looking film. It is a beautifully acted film. Uh, the experience, uh, the experiences of watching the film are great. Um, <laughs> the Q&A was amazing for it, which obviously you're not going to get when you see this in theaters, so sorry. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a great film. Um, it's, for all the reasons that we talked about, it might not, like, it, it's missing a few things that I need to, like, elevate it up to that, like, must-see uh, level. Um, but it was a great experience, and it's definitely a worth watch for anybody, so. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention, um, I feel like this is the year of the 
super shitty cop as signified by a light mustache. <laughs> I think Black Klansman had it. This had it. Detroit had it. I, I'm sure there are other things this year as well. Um, and this definitely has perhaps the skeeviest of skeevy <laughs> New York City cops. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this this cop guy, the guy that they cast in this role, um, after Joaquin Phoenix is done playing the Joker, this is the guy, the guy next on the list because he like looks exactly like the Joker. Yeah, or if Caleb Landry Jones ever needs someone else to play like the sort of role that he would be cast in. <laughs> Wait, which guy is that? He he was in like everything last year. Like he was in American Made, and he was in um. Oh yeah, yeah okay. He's he's yeah, like yeah. kind of just like the canonical CD, three billboards, right? Yeah, CD he's white the, dude. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I one one other thing I forgot I wanted to say is um, so people said this about the end of Moonlight, and I think it's maybe even more true in this movie, which is if you like the look and feel of this. You should really watch a little movie called In the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai, uh, which is like a Hong Kong film about two people not even falling in love. It's just a a character-driven movie, and it's very much about like that moody lighting and that like kind of slow, languid pace as things just unravel and you like watch two people get to know each other. Um, I'm sure he was inspired by that, and yeah, you should check that out. I feel like that's similar vibe that this movie is going for. Cool. Uh, well, that is going to bring us to the end of this review of If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? People can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilthewarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, you can do that in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you, uh, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. And uh, yeah, that is all we got for this week. Um, but we will be back next week with a review of mid-90s and uh, something else probably that's coming out the weekend too. Yeah, we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.